This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Hi there, hockey fans, and welcome back to Rotowire's signature NHL hockey pod podcast with Statsman and AJ. Friends, I'm Paul Bruno, and you can follow me at Statsman22. My co-host, as always, is AJ Scholes, and you can follow him at AJScholes24. With the third round of the NHL playoffs having come to an end, we now have our last two teams standing, and they're ready to meet in the Stanley Cup final. The last time they met was 1970, AJ, and that's a long time ago. Uh, It's been a long time since St. Louis got to the big dance. That's their last visit to the finals. Uh, Boston has a pair of recent appearances this decade even, uh, 2011 and 2013, so it's the third time in, in the 2010s that they've been there. As uh, with our previous pod from a couple of weeks ago, we will review the third round just completed and preview the cup final along with a grab bag of topics today. But before we talk hockey, I, want, I don't want I don't want to burn my uh, co-host's butt here, but I, I have to talk about basketball for a little bit. I just wanted to get a sense for what's going on in Madison, Wisconsin, uh, relating to the uh, NBA conference final that's uh, being contested between the Raptors from Toronto and the Milwaukee Bucks in your neck of the woods aj hey there's no uh, there's no real concern here you know yeah we would have liked to obviously win game five at the new pfizer forum last night but uh you know when you've got Giannis, you're never too worried you're never out of it so uh we're we're not concerned up here uh we'll we'll just have to uh you know come into game six into toronto beat uh, beat the raptors there and then clinch it out in game seven it it just makes for more excitement this way you know we had uh <laughs> a bevy of stars at the, at the game last night, Aaron Rodgers was there, Kristen Yelich as well. Uh, so, you know, we'll have even more people showing up for that game seven. So, uh, Wisconsin pride all around there. Yeah. There's no shortage of star power at the Toronto end either. Drake certainly made headlines in this series. Look, I'm not a giant fan of this guy, but he seems to have really rallied the fan base around this club. And I know he's been accused of antics on the court by the coach of the Bucks, Budenholzer there. And I think justifiably as well. I, I think he's got a bit back up, back away there. But uh, my interest in raising the topic, AJ, is just because these are two fan bases that haven't enjoyed a ton of success uh, across the sports realm and in Toronto it's absolutely 
uh, craziness uh, around here. It's It's been a long time since there's been this much excitement around any sports team, and the Raptors really have captured the imagination of, of uh, all uh, local fans and even across Canada. Charles Barkley has even come behind this club and rallied around them, thinking that uh, they're his team too. So uh, there's star power on both sides, but on and off the court, and uh, a compelling, compelling series may end on Saturday night, AJ. Uh, I mean... Uh, I think that's the Raptors' shot. If they lose Game 6, I don't know about Game 7. So that that uh, is the first elimination game in this series, and uh, it's a key one for, for my home team. But uh, I'm not suggesting that it's a slam dunk uh, at this point at all. And uh, just wanted to get a sense for what's going on in the community there. Yeah, absolutely. And so uh, I do want to touch on one quick uh, kind of off-topic thing here uh, and let our user, uh, listeners know about the most Wisconsin thing you've probably ever heard of. We have a uh, thing this Memorial Day weekend, uh, Memorial Day similar to your uh, Patriots Day that I believe you just had uh, up there in Canada. Uh, it's a big, you know, you get a day off on Monday. Well, here in Madison, we have a thing over this weekend called Bratfest. Uh, it is a festival for bratwurst and so there's bands there's music there's uh you know your usual carnival stuff but as part of that we have uh take your brat to work day on friday (laughs) which includes uh you know you can go and pick them up in the morning or you can have them delivered so this afternoon we are going to have brats delivered to the rotowire hq here in madison and i will send uh i will send you a picture of us eating those delicious brats paul uh, just to make you envious. But before we kick <laughs> off the rest of the show, just remind our listeners that throughout the week, if you have questions about uh, you know your daily lineups, if you're playing single game contests, you have questions about keepers for next season, or just hockey in general, what your favorite player uh, is going to do, you know what your favorite team is going to do, you can tweet at us, and we're happy to answer those questions. Uh, you can follow me at AJScholes24, and you can follow Paul the Statsman at Statsman22. Now, as I said, we're going to break down the round that was just completed, the conference finals, and then uh, preview the Stanley Cup. But before we want to go there, we want to do a grab bag of topics, AJ, and it's uh, an appropriate time to review the NHL trophy nominees. So let's go through the the big trophies uh, across the spectrum with the nominees, and we'll come up with our own predictions here. I'll start us off by looking at the Hart Trophy uh, nominees. And it's three guys that are very familiar to all hockey fans that had great seasons. One uh, very near and dear to your heart, Sidney Crosby, gets a nod. Nikita Kucherov of the Lightning is in there. And Connor McDavid is in there for the Edmonton Oilers. Now, for my part, I hate to say this about Connor McDavid. It's not his fault that his team didn't make the playoffs. But I think you got to disqualify a guy whose team doesn't make the playoffs, even though he makes it to the Hart Trophy as the most valuable players to his team. That should imply some some level of, of success. So for me, it comes down to Crosby and Kucherov. And when, when you're talking about Kucherov, you're talking about the number one team in the league over the regular season uh, by a wide margin. And so to me, this looks like a slam dunk for the uh, Tampa winger. Uh, what are your thoughts here? Yeah, I, I don't uh, disagree with you here. The only thing that I might toss in there is, you know, there was a lot of talk about Crosby's uh, 200-foot game this season. I think a lot of people were a little surprised to see he wasn't nominated for the Selkie uh, for best defensive forward. And so there's a chance. 
Uh, I obviously agree. I think Kucherov was the best player on the best team during the regular season, and this is a regular season award. Um, but there is a chance because of that, you know, kind of selkie snub that Crosby might get the Hart Trophy here. Ah, uh, he's he's uh, sticking with Crosby. I am I'm not surprised. I'll say that. <laughs> and uh, let's talk about the selkie award next, AJ. That uh, brings together. Uh, well, three players, one of whom is very familiar to this trophy. That's Patrice Bergeron. He's had a lock on it for a while. And he's going to be uh, challenged by Ryan O'Reilly and Mark Stone. Mark Stone, a winger with the Golden Knights, who had an outstanding tournament with Team Canada so far in the international tournament that's going on right now, the World Hockey Championships. Ryan O'Reilly sparked, uh, helped spark the Blues to a fantastic second half that has propelled them to the Stanley Cup final. But Bergeron, for me is the epitome of this award. The guy plays the game at such a high level offensively, but he's a lockdown defensive player as well. And so I think he's a runaway winner in this particular trophy uh, situation. AJ, what are your thoughts in this trio? Yeah, I absolutely agree with you here. Uh, you know, there's there's certainly a chance at some point down the road that this becomes the Selkie Bergeron trophy, <laughs> uh, you know, after his playing days are over because he has uh, locked it up so many times. And so I, I think it's another one for, for Patrice Bergeron here. And uh, a double nominee uh, leads the list in terms of the Lady Bing candidates. Al, uh, Ryan O'Reilly uh, nominated for the St. Louis Blues again. This guy plays a rugged game, but he stays out of the box with regularity. So that's, that's the kind of guy that you want on your team for sure that won't cost you too many penalty uh, shorthanded situations, but still plays the game you want it played with some, some level of toughness. He stands out here to me among the other the three candidates. Uh, Barkoff for the Florida Panthers, another guy who plays a ton of minutes f for the Panthers in all situations and, uh, and uh, does it with a high level of skill. Sean Monaghan, a third member of this group, uh, kind of overshadowed a little bit by Johnny Hockey there in terms of the overall uh, look at the way this guy is uh, conceived around, perceived around the league, let's say. And, and so to me, I think he comes in third here and it's a bit of a toss up for me between Barkoff and, and Ryan O'Reilly. Uh, I'll, I'll lean a little bit to O'Reilly. I wonder if you would agree with that assessment or not. Yeah, I, I Put it in exact the same order there. Ryan O'Reilly, I think, wins. Uh, Barkoff would be second for me, and then Sean Monaghan. So, uh, and you know, they, you know, they're supposed to be independent and separate, but I do think there's a there's a extra factor here. You know, with O'Reilly being nominated for both, you have to imagine he, you know, they're not going to make him lose both. So I do think they'll give him one. So if the Selkie goes to Bergeron, I think O'Reilly gets the Lady Bang. In uh, the Masterton Trophy finalists, uh, it's, this trophy goes to the player who best exemplifies the qualities of perseverance, sportsmanship, and dedication to hockey. The nominees here all certainly qualify. Nick Foligno of the Columbus Blue Jackets, a, a guy that I'm a big fan, favorite of. Uh, Robin Leonard of the New York Islanders, a guy who we've talked about uh, a lot here uh, and, and how he has really straightened out his life and was a signature piece for the Islanders' level of success. And then, really a favorite across the hockey spectrum, Joe Thornton. The veteran had a, a very nice season as a third-line center. He still caught 50-plus points for the Sharks and uh, was a real rallying point for this team. And I think a sentimental favorite in, in terms of the Masterton Trophy finalists. And I'll give him the nod here. Uh, AJ, what are your thoughts on this race? 
Yeah, I think, you know, for for everything that, you know, Robin Leonard did, um, you know, opening up about the issues he struggled with, I, I think he's just up against two guys uh, at the wrong time. I think in another year he might be able to win. But you've got Nick Foligno dealing uh, with off-ice issues related to health of his daughter. Um, so that's obviously trying and, and, and difficult. Um, certainly our, our hearts go out to him there. And then, of course, you've got Jumbo Joe Thornton, um, you know, a, a leader uh, and stalwart in this league for a very very long time. And I, I do think, you know, if this is his last hurrah, then, you know, that would be a, a fitting way for him to go out as well, uh, getting that trophy. So I do think Thornton is, is the leader here. Um, but I could certainly see Nick Foligno getting it as well. All right, let's go to the defensive side of the puck and uh, top scoring defensemen uh, lead the parade here in terms of the favorites for the Norris trophy. Uh, Burn, Burns in San Jose, then we got uh, Hedman in Tampa and Giordano in Calgary. Giordano, 35-plus years old, had a career season here for me, and he has been touted for a long time as the favorite in this category. I see no reason to doubt that, uh, largely because I see uh, Brett Burns as a guy who is a pretty much a one-way defenseman. I don't like the defensive side of his game very much anymore, AJ. He has the puck a lot, but when he doesn't, he's a bit of a turnstile on the back end there, and so I think he comes in third here. Victor Hedman uh, kind of had a quiet first half of the season and uh, then was part of that Tampa juggernaut that rolled through the NHL with some level of success. So the point total is not there to the level of the other two guys. So I think Giordano has this one locked up. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, you mentioned a few points behind Burns, nine overall uh, in that category, but a plus 39, uh, which is astronomical. Uh, three power play goals, four shorthanded goals, uh, which is a huge factor. I'm, I'm going to double check here real quick. The next closest is Essa Lindell had two uh, <laughs> for defensemen. And then, uh, you know, a handful of other defensemen have one. So four shorthanded goals. So that's that's a guy that's playing in all aspects of the game, playing on a power play, the penalty kill, five on five. Uh, and so I think it, it for sure should be uh, Giordano's to, to walk away with. Now, the Ted Lindsay Award is an interesting one. It's voted on by the players and it's for the most outstanding player in the NHL. So here's a case where Connor McDavid, you might say, is more in line for a win because uh, the view here in my corner is the guy is still the best player in the league, I would suggest, based on overall level of skill and performance. He is being battled, battling in this category with Patrick Kane, who had an outstanding year for uh, a somewhat resurgent Chicago Blackhawk team. And, and Kane showed that there's still a lot of life left in him, uh, despite the perception that he was on the, he's on the back side of, of uh, an outstanding career. Nikita Kucherov also led the league in scoring, so no slouch there and, and has to be considered uh, as a contender. But for me... I think the perception is that Connor McDavid is still viewed as the best player in hockey, and that's really what this award is all about. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't think there's any question here uh, that that's uh, Connor McDavid's trophy uh, for sure. Calder Trophy Award. Uh, this, this is an interesting one, AJ, because one of the nominees is still playing, and he had only half a season with his club. I'm talking about Jordan Bennington. You know I have a soft spot for this kid. I won't go on and on about him, but he's had an outstanding season, no question, and really sparked the St. Louis turnaround. Rasmus Dahlin was the number one pick in the draft and had a very solid season in Buffalo. And Elias Pettersson had an outstanding year in Vancouver and gives the West Coast club some real level of hope as they found a signature piece to build their team around. 
I think this is going to be an interesting call, but I think it's Pedersen's to lose. Uh, the guy had an outstanding year from beginning to end and was a real game-breaker uh, and vaulted up to be the first-line player on this team uh, at center, and uh, I think he, he is a runaway winner in this particular category. I mean, absolutely. Our, our listeners know that I've I've been saying uh, since probably December that this was uh, uh, Pedersen's rather to, to walk away with. And so I think uh, you won't see any changes in that. I think Bennington and Dalim were uh, solid nominees for it. Bennington for what he did coming in uh, in January and basically uh, taking this team from nothing uh, to success and where they are in the postseason now. But uh, this has to be a, an, an Elias Pedersen win here. And you know what? We'll finish up with why I think is going to be what I think is going to be the closest race, and that's for the coach of the year, the Jack Adams Award finalist. There's three very worthy candidates here. Uh, of course, we've talked about the St. Louis Blues' success in the second half since Greg Berube came on board and uh, righted this ship. Uh, to the point we're in the Stanley Cup Finals, and there they are. John Cooper led the juggernaut that was the Tampa Lightning to a runaway win over the President's Trophy in the regular season, and Barry Trotz helped turn around the New York Islanders situation in his first year behind the bench there, uh, coming off winning the Stanley Cup the year before. So, boy, I think this is a real... They need a three-sided coin here, I think, to make this choice. And I'm just going to say that it's John Cooper. This trophy is based on the regular season performance. All the voting is done... at the end of the regular season and we're talking about a guy who led the team to the best record in the league so I'll go with Coop in this one so I'm actually going to go with Berube and and I think it's because if you're taking even if you're taking just you know regular season as as they should as they're supposed to he took over a team that was last uh, in the league here and turned them in to a playoff contender um, you know, and so got them up and, and into the playoffs. So for me, it's Baru. Barry Trotz obviously uh, took an Islanders team that many, including myself, expected to be out of the playoffs and, and made them uh, a contender by, you know, a defensive uh, commitment there. You know, the post-Varis era was not supposed to go quite so smoothly uh, for the Islanders. And so for me, honestly, I think John Cooper uh, is is in third place for for these nominees because he took a team of of guys that we expected to do well and, and did well with them. I mean, yes, that's not a knock on him. He got them to perform at their best. Um, but this was a team that was supposed to do well. Um, obviously if they had struggled, he might be looking for a new job. So it's all about expectations there. And so for me, uh, it's Berube for, for the win. All right, AJ, as promised, we have a grab bag of topics that I want to go through with you in terms of headlines that are being made. And that's just a primer for what we're going to be doing over the summer with more sporadic uh, episodes of podcast. We'll come at you about once every three weeks with uh, updates on player movement and that sort of thing. And and there's been some movement on and off the ice. We'll begin with off the ice where John Davidson is now the new president of hockey with the New York Rangers leaving the Columbus Blue Jackets where he's been for several years. Uh, there's going to be some changes in Columbus. We'll get through to that in a sec. But what are your thoughts on this move? For, for me, Davidson had a, a lo- lengthy career in New York as a player, and uh, he had a clause in his contract that if ever an opportunity rose there, he'd like to go back. So he's going home, and I think he's really happy about it, and I think he's going to do a great job in helping to turn around what needs to be one of the signature franchises in the league. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think the most interesting thing that I saw, um, you know, yesterday in regards to this hiring was he was the first person to hire a, a foreign-born GM uh, in in Columbus there, and so I think uh, it's that kind of outside of the box thinking that'll help uh, the Rangers with this kind of retooling, rebuild, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and so I think it's a good thing for them. And you have a guy that's obviously motivated to see the team succeed. Not that he wasn't in his last job. I, I don't want that to be misconstrued. But when you're, you know, when you're coaching your alma mater or you're, you know, back at the team you played for, uh, there's just that little bit extra you're willing to put in that extra hour to get something done, I think. And, and I think it'll be a good hire for them. And uh, then DJ Smith, a Leaf assistant coach, uh, takes the helm in ottawa aj it certainly will spice up the battle of ontario but i'm going to be the first one to say this i don't think this is a good move this guy was in charge of the leaf defense and uh, the penalty killing which was maligned in the playoffs and i don't know how the ottawa fans look at this but i look at it as they're getting a a c-grade coach here based on the fact that he hasn't got the resume of some of the other candidates that were being discussed, including even a Patrick Waugh, could have spiced things up in terms of the media coverage of this team because that, that guy is a lightning rod for controversy, and he has been successful in coaching in the minor leagues and so on, and you, you don't need to go through the resume of the regular season, what he's done in, the, in his history as a player. But for me, this was a low-level hire by the, by the Ottawa Senators in keeping with the perception of this team being a team that doesn't have money to, to spend on getting the top-tier players and top-tier coaching staff in place. Yeah, I mean, far be it for me to, to disagree with you on, on any of your assessment there. Uh, you know, you you know him a little bit better than I do. Um, I admittedly, when I saw the hire, said who? Uh, so I had to kind of look it up. You know, obviously what they're going for a little bit is to get somebody from that Mike Babcock coaching tree, which I don't think is necessarily a bad move. I have been very vocal about wanting to see teams uh go outside of the the recycling of coaches um and i think the last thing that that dumpster fire in ottawa needs is to add fuel by hiring patrick wah to be the head coach there (laughs) i think you take uh that would have just made a a bad situation worse in my opinion with everybody waiting to find out when he was going to quit would he make it all the way through training camp this time uh you know does he make it a month into the season before some sort of disagreement with how the team is run comes up and so uh for me I, I think Patrick Raw would have been a terrible hire for them. I do like the fact that there's thinking outside the box. But again, I had no idea who DJ Smith was uh, until yesterday. And so uh, there is obviously some concern there, but hopefully it works out for him. And then, AJ, the Sabres hire Ralph Kruger as their new head coach. This is the final off-ice off move that I want to bring up to your attention and our listeners as well. I think this could be an interesting one. This guy's an innovative thinker. I mean, he... Uh, one game at, at uh, the World Hockey Ch- uh, World Cup of Hockey uh, not too long ago, he iced five uh, defensive specialists when his team was leading late in the game, knowing that the opposition would load up even though they were shorthanded against him. So he did what he needed to do to protect his lead even when he had the man advantage. And so that was kind of a bit of unconventional thinking that kind of dots this guy's history 
He's the modern-day Roger Nielsen, for those people who are old enough to remember him as an innovator. And uh, Kruger has a lot of international experience, and it's good to see the NHL looking that way to bring in uh, an, a fresh face. He's had a bit of a cup of coffee with Edmonton that didn't go too well, but I think that his resume speaks very well of a very interesting hire in Buffalo. What's your thoughts there? Yeah, absolutely. I, I do think this is... Uh, uh a very much an outside of the box, uh, you know, kind of hire here. And so I, from that standpoint, I, I really appreciate it uh, a lot. And I think it's a great, great hire there. Um, I did think that Chris Taylor, their AHL um, coach would have, would have been a solid hire for Buffalo as well. Um, that was the way I was kind of leaning and hoping that they would go. Um, but obviously, you know, this is a, a different direction here. And I think you get a guy, uh, with a lot of different experience, which I think can be a good thing. You know, his most recent job, uh, he was president of an English Premier League uh, soccer team, uh, Southampton. That was his most recent job, being chairman of, of that team. And so uh, he's, you know, back in hockey. But to see how other uh, sports do things like fitness, like, uh, you know, nutrition, stuff like that, I don't think is going to be a bad thing for the Sabres. And I think he can really provide a kind of a different look and, and a different experience there. And, and it could be what Buffalo needs to kind of turn things around. Now, there, there's going to be a lot of player movement this summer, AJ. We know that. And big names are going to lead lead the, the notoriety side of it, too. And one of the biggest names that is out there already is Eric Carlson. He didn't even finish the series in uh, San Jose's <laughs> most recent round due to injury. But there's been a lot of speculation that this guy will be on the move and San Jose may not be able to offer him enough to stay there. And uh, he might be looking for a challenge where there are brighter lights. I'm suggesting he could wind up on Broadway with the Rangers. They have a lot of cap space and they've been linked to him for some time in terms of interest. We will have a free agent based show later this summer, likely in the first week of July after free agency starts to open up. But here's a sample of, of uh, a name or two that, uh, that we'll, we will talk. Where does he wind up in your estimation? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the Rangers are probably a, a leader in the clubhouse. Another uh, team that's been tossed around has been Tampa Bay. Now, obviously, there's uh, some uh, cap considerations there, uh, you know, whether or not he'd be willing uh, to take a little bit of a, of a cut there. But um, I think that would mean Anton Strawman is probably out for sure. I don't see them being able to afford him. Um, but to have... You know, to go from one uh, elite pairing uh, in Burns and Carlson to go to Hedman and Carlson uh, would be really kind of interesting. And let's not forget they got Ryan McDonough, too. But that would be a lot of money locked up uh, on their top three blue liners. So I'm not sure they can make it swing. But those are kind of the two most prominent names right now. Uh, and the Eastern Conference seems to be his preference. Uh, I would be surprised if he was back with another Western Conference team. Now, AJ, one of the big names that's creeping out there in terms of the media coverage of speculation of players moving and very high-level players is Phil Kessel. I'm surprised by this. Are you? I am, and I'm also not. I mean, there. I'd look, as, as a fan, I am hesitant to trade away a guy uh, who's produced as much as he had, who has been a fan favorite uh, for everything he does. Look, for all the fan dislike he got when he was uh, up in Toronto with you guys, he, it's been the exact opposite in Pittsburgh. The fan base absolutely loves him, but his, he drives the coaching staff nuts. Uh, his <laughs> two-way play is 
questionable. I think everybody would admit to that. Um, and so I, I think if the right return is on the table, um, I can definitely see them do that. Now, what I've heard lately uh, as of yesterday is that a deal is essentially in place with Minnesota uh, to, to make that change. And, uh, you know, he's from he's from Wisconsin originally, but he played for the University of Minnesota. He's apparently friends with Ryan Sutter, who's another Madison, Wisconsin native. And so um, apparently it's just a matter of whether or not he will approve that trade. He has a somewhat limited uh, no trade clause there, but uh, he can obviously use it enough to shut that deal down. Um, The other place he's been linked to has been Arizona. I'm not sure if they have enough return on investment for the Penguins to make that move, but he was very close with coach Rick Tockett when, when he was here and Tockett seems to know uh, how to make that work and how to get the most out of him. Uh, The, the rumor I heard as far as return in that Minnesota deal does include Jason Zucker, who uh, I, you know, I can't say I would be sad to see him added to the Penguins. Um, but obviously, I think my overall preference would be to keep Phil Kessel. But again, that's coming from a fan. Um, I can certainly see from a financial standpoint, even though Toronto is still paying one point two million of his cap. Thanks for that, by the way, Paul. Um, <laughs> we still, you know, it's still six point eight on the Penguins. That's a pretty high hit. So even, uh, you know, if you move some things around, obviously, Uh, you make it work but uh, it'll be interesting to see if you know it it sounded like early it was um you know oh we're we'll take calls about it but now at this point it seems like the calling is being done from uh from pittsburgh's end and they're they're actively trying to move him at this point now aj you mentioned that there was a link to this guy being a uh, wisconsin connection and you mentioned the other player sutter in minnesota having that connection if both of those guys wind up on the same team does that mean your fandom gets split <laughs> not a chance <laughs> <laughs> no. all right so uh, so let me let me just explain this to some of our listeners out there so in wisconsin we don't have a team uh, <laughs> and so we find ourselves uh, divided amongst who else we cheer for and the two places that boggle my mind are chicago and minnesota why am i going to dislike every other team from these places but suddenly i'm going to cheer for their hockey team it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me which is why i've never been a fan of either of those teams so i will not uh, be switching as much as i love phil kessel his departure is not enough for me to uh consider leaving the penguins fan base that's he's, for sure he's gonna have to bring a wheelbarrow full of hot dogs to ease the transition <laughs> I, I would think they'll go well with our brats today that's true there you go now uh, another team that uh, i'm looking at in the off season, the carolina hurricanes they had a fantastic magical ride in these playoffs and it was based on the performance of a a two-headed monster in the nets that was very unlikely in terms of Curtis McElhinney and Peter Morazic in the nets. Look at, I think they're both fine goalies. I don't think they're top-end guys, but their coaching staff and management's team has already gone on record that they have no trouble looking at these guys as the pairing in the nets next year. I'm suggesting to you, if they do that again, I don't think they're going to have the season that they did this year. Yeah, I, I've always shied away from goalie splits um, in, in general here. The one thing I will say is that Curtis McElhinney's age might make this a possibility. And you've seen that a little bit in Florida, um, you know, with uh, Luongo saying, 
uh, vocalizing that heading into next season, if he's the backup, he, he's fine with that. He was very clear about being willing to take on that role. And McElhinney is 36, so he might uh, be in a similar boat where he's willing to kind of take a, a back half role. Um, whether or not Peter Morazic wants to continue to potentially face split duties, I think will be the biggest question mark here. He's going to be an unrestricted free agent. Uh, and so, you know, how, what sort of offer they can give him money will obviously be the biggest factor, but I think playtime will be as well. And so it's going to depend. I think really it's going to come down to how well these guys do or do not get along, uh, off the ice. I think if these are two guys that really, uh, connect well and play well off of each other and, and helping each other there, I think it's something that they could try and try and make work. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that this might be two guys that can make it work. But again, I'm, I'm not always high on these goalie split situations. Yeah, I, I'm not a big fan of them either. And these guys are both probably better suited to be backups. Certainly McElhinney's career has been characterized by that role. Mrazek had a bit of a rebirth there, and that's the key for me. Can he uh, up his game, be a 50-game played guy with a, a great record? That's what they need to happen. But uh, non-contending teams, AJ, are going to be looking around the league to think, before we blow our brains out in free agency, we got to really think, do we have a shot? Or, or other teams gonna, uh, are there other teams out there that could be going the other way? And when they think about that uh, possibility, the team that jumps out to me is the Columbus Blue Jackets. They had a, another great playoff run, just like Carolina did, but uh, I think this team could be a non-playoff team when you consider that Artemi Panarin and Sergei Bobrovsky are very unlikely to return, and that leaves a huge hole in the Nets. They've also talked bravely about how Jonas Corposalo could be uh, a legitimate number one goalie in this league. That remains to be seen in my estimation, and uh, there's a few pieces here that are getting a little bit older, so it's just a, a recipe for a team that went for, will go from a, a contender this year to a non-playoff team next year. Do you agree or disagree? I absolutely agree. So Sergei Bobrovsky is is gone. I think that's uh, a, a for sure here. Uh, Panarin and Duchesne, I think, are unlikely to resign without Bobrovsky staying around. I'm not sure either of these guys wants to be uh, on a team whose potential goaltending tandem is Jonas Corposalo and Elvis uh, Mers Lincolns, who they recently signed uh, from from Russia. So. Uh, I think there's some growing pains that'll happen between the Nets this season, and I'm not sure that either of those guys wants to be a part of it. Uh, and we talked about this in past weeks that I don't think their coaching staff did them any favors in trying to get Ryan DeSingle back. So, yes, this team will still have Cam Atkinson, Brandon Dubinsky, uh, you know, Seth Jones uh, and, and Zach Wierenski in the lineup. And so whether they're out of the playoffs, I'm not sure I go quite that far. I think they've got enough talent on this team to still get it done. Um, but if they make the playoffs, it will be a wild card spot and they will probably get bounced in the first round uh, without unless I, I should say, unless they bring in somebody in terms of net mining, if they can add a, a goaltender and free agency other than Bobrovsky, maybe uh, they can make this work. But now, AJ, the next show that you and I probably do will will be uh, around the NHL draft, which comes up uh, in the latter part of June, just after the Stanley Cup playoffs are done. And a couple of names uh, play are playing or have been playing at the World Hockey Championships overseas, and uh, they've both excelled. And it's interesting to see which one of them will be the top draft pick in the NHL. It was Jack Hughes that was 
being the consensus pick all year long, but he's really being threatened by uh, the, the next finish flash, Capo Caco, who's an outstanding high, highlight reel type winger. Jack Hughes is a centerman, and so that could be the tiebreaker for me, AJ, because every team is looking for that big rangy forward who has all the skills and a 200-foot game. By all accounts, Jack Hughes fits that description. Certainly, Caco is, as I mentioned, a highlight reel type winger, big shot, Fast skater, excellent moves, but uh, I think if you got a chance to get a number one center, you go get him. Yeah, look, I, I definitely agree, and I think you know the the World Cup performance. Uh, while not, you don't want to undervalue it. At the same time, you you also can't overvalue it in terms of you need to take into account the broad spectrum of everything that your scouts uh, have told you and everything you've seen. And I think that's going to make Jack Hughes. Uh, the number one pick here. The one thing that I will say is that Capo Cap uh, Capen has really shown that he is NHL ready, in my opinion. You know, Jack Hughes has not played a whole lot, and I think that's something um, that you know you need to take a look at. And the Rangers are not, or I'm sorry, the Devils are not exactly a rebuilding franchise. This is no. a team that had Taylor Hall out of the lineup almost the entire year. So do you add the more NHL ready player and then, you know, hit the ground running next season? That's certainly a viable option here. Uh, and, and for them to look at, you know, you talk about their centers. You've got Travis Zajac, Pavel Zaka, uh, both, uh, you know, viable options at center. Obviously, Nico Hirscher. Do they really need um, an argument could be made that they don't necessarily need to add a center if they're looking to win right now. So overall, I do think Jack Hughes is the number one. I think you're absolutely right that you don't pass up on that type of player. But if they want to win next season while they have Taylor Hall under contract, you might be a, a better off going with the Finn. And uh, final topic in this section, Willie Nylander is among the leading scorers in the tournament. Uh, Sweden got eliminated yesterday. Uh, of course, there's going to be some deals around the trade, that, the uh, draft as well. His name's going to be uh, bandied about for sure, given that he has a cap hit that might not be uh, a fit in Toronto beyond uh, this summer uh, with the fact that they have to hi uh, sign Mitch Marner still along with a couple other top six forwards. Uh, question to you, will he be dealt this summer? I will say it this way. If, they, if he gets traded away, Kyle Dubas better pack his bags and go <laughs> with him wherever he sends him because the the fan base is not going to put up with everything that happened last uh, uh you know last offseason into the start of this season with trying to get uh Nylander under contract you finally figure it out he struggles to start the season you finally gets it going towards the end and then you trade him right away like that's not something that I think the fan base, correct me if I'm wrong, Paul, but I don't think the fan base is going to tolerate that. Uh, and so I think they will be at the doors of the arena there with pitchforks uh, <laughs> ready to run Dubas out of town if he makes that move. Yeah, I think they've got to find a way to shoehorn uh, Marner uh, and the two wingers uh, on, the, on the second and third line, third line combinations that, that they need to sign as our RFAs here. So they got to get that done. And to make that happen, they're probably going to have to make a deal or two to make up some room. And one of those deals could be Patrick Marlowe going out the door, maybe going to San Jose for a victory lap there. So a lot of intrigue around the draft, not just for the young players coming in, but the uh, NHL's current players who could be moving to different uh, postal codes. 
And uh, before we go into the conference final review, I want to give a shout out to two great friends of the show. Daniel Negrano recently got married at Real Kid Poker. Is, he's a real, that's his Twitter handle, and an excellent follower and an excellent supporter of ours. And he's challenged us uh, off the air from time to time as well, AJ, to keep things interesting all year long. So we thank him for his continued support. And also Matthew Kay, an outstanding uh, new face in the fantasy sports spectrum. We gave him his first shot here. He concedes that and he thanks us every chance he gets. But we have to thank him for the outstanding effort that he brings every time he's been with us. And we regret that he was not able to, to join us during, uh, due to his busy schedule. So I wanted to give a shout out to two great friends of our show there, AJ. And I know you echo the sentiments. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll, I'll give a little plug for Daniel, not that he really needs uh, our help plugging anything. If you're a poker fan like me, uh, uh, Daniel will be selling stakes in his, uh, his tournament, his uh, World Series of Poker tournament. You can actually buy in uh, to his. Uh, all the information is up on his Twitter, as Paul said, at Real Kid uh, Poker. I, I intend to try and get on. It'll be uh, uh, two o'clock uh, my time here in the Central, uh, and try and get on and, and buy into a little bit of his stakes and, and watch him. He's bringing back his vlogs, um, you know, his daily vlogs during the World Series of Poker. So if you are at all a poker fan like my, like I am, this is a great time. Uh, to really be following Daniel and, and getting in on that. So uh, I will definitely be diving in later today. And yeah, as you said, uh, Matt has been a great addition to the show. In fact, uh, I was a little confused when we signed on this morning and, and Matt's voice wasn't there. Uh, I know, Paul, you're obviously a fan of good food, but I was waiting, anticipating Matt's uh, you know feedback on our, our brat fest here. I thought maybe uh, he'd get in the car and start driving his way here uh, once I told him. But uh, so, yeah. Yeah, he's been a great addition to the show. We love having him on uh, and look forward to doing it some more, uh, you know, in the future. And you can follow him at Matt underscore Stryker underscore an excellent follow and a great new face in the fantasy sports spectrum. He's not just a hockey guy. Neither are we. Uh, so he's a great addition to the Rotowire family and uh, he is a great follow as well. All right, AJ, let's get into the conference final talk. Uh, the two series that just finished, one was a real quick one the Boston Bruins uh, rolled the Carolina Hurricanes in four games and the scores were not close in a few of them there were 5-2 6-2 four nothing wins there was one close one a 2-1 win essentially it came down for me to a battle of the big lines and the Boston trio excuse me really showed their medal and uh, squelched anything that the other guys could do so that paved the way Tuka Rask continues to be the backbone of this club in net, uh, only allowing a total of five goals in this entire series to make him a leading candidate for the Conn Smythe Trophy. But uh, he's got competition in his own clubhouse with Patrice Bergeron and Brad Marchand having an outstanding playoff run. Yeah, I mean, uh, for me, I, I definitely agree with, with your assessment on the lines there. But for me, it's the goaltending here, 100%. Uh, you know, Boston has allowed 1.94 goals uh, per game in the playoffs across 17 games. Uh, and so that's the best of any team uh, throughout the postseason here. You know, you compare that to their opponents, uh, St. Louis and, and Bennington are 2.53. Um, so, you know, when you have a goaltender playing at this dominant level, um, you know, it, it just it's hard to, you know, really compete. And I think that's what we're seeing here. And that's what we saw in the Carolina series. And uh, over in San Jose's uh, trek into St. Louis, uh, they faced the hottest team in the second half of the league and uh, in the regular season. And St. Louis really showed their medal in this one. 
uh, overcoming a tough early start when they got kind of blown out in the first game. It was a 6-3 victory for the Sharks. Uh, we were all on the Sharks uh, at the outset of the series. To me, it seemed like we were buying into the rally around uh, Joe Thornton and really hoping, maybe we bet with our hearts here, AJ, in retrospect. <laughs> but by the end of this series, St. Louis... Uh, won with a couple of convincing one-sided efforts. They won 5 nothing and 5-1. to one. Of course, there's a couple of empty netters factored in there, but the scores were indicative of how one-sided this thing became. And really, it was the fact that the, the Blues could roll three successful lines. I keep uh, tooting Tyler Bozak's horn there, but he uh, formed a great partnership with his line mates on that third line and made me regret uh, once again in a flashback how the Leafs really lost an advantage against Boston with Nazem Kadri getting suspended. The third line turned the series for me uh, in St. Louis's favor, and uh, it just showed the depth of the Blues, and it's something they're going to lean on in the Stanley Cup final, which we'll preview shortly. But a key factor here was Pavelski, Hurtle, and Carlson. They didn't even play in Game 6, so this team was really banged up. Uh, Pavelski had a really tough playoff run after he got hurt in the Vegas series, which I guess Daniel Negrano is never going to let me forget, I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... You look at any team in this league and you take their top producer offensively, uh, one of their second line, uh, best second line guys, and arguably their one uh, number one D-man. Now, I know Carlson's not the number one D-man in St. Louis, but for the sake of argument compared to every other team uh, in the league, you're looking at the number one defenseman here. Um, And and that team's not going to win that game. 100%. 100%. There's no chance that any team without those players, you know, you look at uh, your Maple Leafs, you take Tavares out of the lineup, you take Kasperi Kapanen out of the lineup, and you take Morgan Riley out of the lineup. The Leafs aren't winning. It's just not happening. Uh, I would, uh, you know, I I challenge our listeners, anybody who can come uh, come up on Twitter with uh, a team that would overcome those kinds of losses uh, in a playoff game. You let me know and, and I'd love to see it, but I don't think there's anyone out there for my Penguins. It's like Crosby, uh, you know, Kessel. Uh, and, uh, you know, Latang being out again, it's, it's not going to happen. So uh, I think that's really what sank them. I think if those guys play game six, uh, we're looking at a game seven and it's a different series potentially heading back into San Jose. So uh, I do think they could have won this series uh, if those guys were healthy. But obviously they talk about the playoffs being a war of attrition sometimes and they just didn't have it there. And, and it's unfortunate uh, for Joe Thornton and the rest of that team that injuries are why they're out now this isn't to sell st louis short they had some phenomenal play as you said their third line was was crucial um but for for my money i think it's those injuries piling up that just sunk the sharks and that leaves two teams aj for us to talk about in terms of this nhl campaign when we're looking at the next championship possibility uh the boston bruins and the st louis blues are going to reprise the last time they met 1970 the famous iconic photo of bobby orr flying through the air that's not going to be repeated in this series nor is a four-game sweep i'll say that and as we head into our preview i'd like to have you lead us into a discussion about the forward uh, matchup in this series Well, look, we've talked about it all along, and I think it carries over into this series as well. Boston is led by that top line of Marchand, Bergeron, and Pasternak. Now, they've been getting more out of David Backus, which makes their second line a little bit more dangerous. Uh, And we've talked about Johansson Coyle and Danton Heinen being a solid third line. I think exactly what we saw in the Carolina series is potentially what we see here. You've got Boston with their big gun top line. 
the Blues have a, a fantastic top line in Schwartz, Shen, and Tarasenko, um, but they have more depth here. Robert Thomas, Tyler Bozak, uh, Patrick Maroon as a third line, as you said, was the difference makers there. Ryan O'Reilly is anchoring that that second line, along with David Perron, who's a quality goal scorer, even if they don't come quite as frequently as they have in the past. And so I think there is more depth on the St. Louis grouping here than there is in Boston, but that top line has just been unstoppable of late. Uh, and I think it could potentially give them the edge in terms of the forwards. Yeah. And if, if you just look at the top lines, you'll give uh, the Bruins a big edge in this series, but uh, I'm a little bit concerned about the depth there, particularly when we note that uh, there's a little bit of a red mark next to David Krejci's line, name in the in the Rotowire list of the depth charts here. Uh, he's nicked up a little bit, and his suggestion he's day to day. He'll play. Uh, there's no question about it. David Backus could be a rallying point for the Bruins. The former Blues captain has slowly recaptured a top six role. He started the season on the playoff season in the press box for this club, but he has really solidified his role by playing a physical game that the Bruins are all known for. And uh, really, he's a he's a war. Uh, battle-tested veteran here that uh, is a hopeful to, uh, being a spark plug in this series. The third line for Bru- the Bruins could be challenged here to be a difference maker too. They really uh, solidified that group with a couple of additions late in the season, uh, acquiring Charlie Coyle and Marcus Johansson, two guys that are battle-tested as well. Johansson particularly up power play specialist and a guy who has a knack for scoring key goals but Charlie Coyle has outstripped him in these playoffs talk about key goal scoring this guy's done it for the Bruins and really provided them with a boost offensively and you can't discount the Bruins fourth line even Sean Corrali is healthy and and uh, showing his uh, importance they even start the fourth line to set the tone in a lot of their games AJ so they go four lines deep but I like the St. Louis mix uh, offensively as well. They've volleyed Braden Shen back and forth as a winger and a center. They've settled on him as the first-line center, and he's lit a fire under Vladimir Tarasenko, who is arguably their their best talent here. David Perron, an outstanding playoff, and Sammy Blay has uh, upped his game to take on a second-line role that we didn't forecast earlier on. So they've uh, they've reorganized their offense, and uh, they've, got, they've even got a credible fourth line when you consider the veteran Alex Steen is there, Oscar Sundquist, and Ivan Barbashev, they've contributed as well. So both lines are four line, four deep. I, I think I want to look at the, Bru- the Blues centers, though, and say that that trio of Shen, O'Reilly, and Bozak gives them a slight edge over the Boston trio, and it reminds me again of what might have been had my Leafs advanced with a healthy and uh, sane, saner uh, Nazem Kadri, I'll say, <laughs> just uh, not losing his cool and, and getting suspended. So I'll give a, a slight check mark to St. Louis. You give it to Boston, and that's kind of indicative of I, the way I see even the defenses breaking down. When you look at the depth on the blue lines here, the Blues have a, a group of six that they've relied on, and they will be missing Vince Dunn likely at the start of this series. He's a guy that has been a top four defender for this club in spots, spurts during the season. So Joel Edmondson will be a guy that has to pick up that gauntlet and uh, and step up a little bit. But they've got a trio of guys who are experienced in Pietrangelo, Pareko, and Bo Meester, uh, who've had 
success on the international stage, to say nothing of their performance with the Blues. Uh, a great core top four. And then you got Carl Gunnarsson and Robert Bertuzzo, two very solid defensive defensemen on that third pairing. So there's not, no holes there on that side. But when I look at the Boston Bruins, I'm going to be uh, one of the first persons that I've heard of in previewing this series. I'm a little concerned about Zdeno Chara. He was nicked up to the point where he had to miss a game in the last round. The 40-plus years may be catching up to him because what I've seen out of him in these playoffs is he can be beaten uh, by uh, oncoming forwards who skate around him with uh, relative ease. But his tiebreaker and equalizer is that long reach, and he used, he's used it effectively, maybe even... Uh, improperly in terms of some of the fouls that he's been getting away with these playoffs. He's been a cross-check machine and an interference guy all through these playoffs. And, uh, you know, we can say about a statesman he is and a great character guy and so on, but there's been holes exposed in his game. And I think Charlie McAvoy is going to be pressed to cover for them in that first pairing. The guy who's been a revelation, we talked about Brandon Carlo, has really stepped up his game, really most improved Boston Bruin player this year, I'll say. And Tori Krug is his partner, so a very good top four in in their circumstance. But I will put a little question mark by Chara. And then I think the third pairing, Mark Grizzlick and Connor Clifton, they aren't up to the level of the St. Louis third pairing. So I'm going to give a slight edge to the Blues defense here. AJ, what's your slant? Well, the only reason you're not hearing anybody talk about the imminent demise of Char is because you're the only one that thinks that. Um, <laughs> I think I think Char is fine. You know, yeah, is he you know up to speed as some of these you know 20 year old kids that he's up against? Of course not. Um, but he compensates well. He's a solid defensive uh, guy, and I think the thing, the X factor with him is being able to let Charlie McAvoy get up into the play and play a more offensive uh, style of game. And I think his contributions on the power play as well, kind of anchoring that um, with that heavy shot uh, can't be, you know, understated there as well. So uh, I'm not worried about big Z uh, heading into this series. Uh, I think, you know, the done injury is a concern to me, but I think they can overcome that. And you look at the point producers in the postseason here. Uh, Alex per, uh, Petrangelo is number three, uh, and Colton Pareko is number six. And so they're right up there uh, in the mix. Now, Boston is being led by Tori Krug, uh, who's got 12 points, Petrangelo at 13, Pareko at 11. Uh, and so I think uh, there's offensive contributions to be had on both sides here. Uh, and I think uh, for me, I think the experience of, of Zdeno Chara is actually what has me giving the edge uh, to the to the Bruins here. I think they just have uh, a slight edge using uh, that big defenseman and, uh, you know, shutdown guy that allows McAvoy to play that style. And I think the injury to Dunn, uh, you know, maybe it's only one game, but if it lingers beyond that, I think you're going to see that third pairing for, uh, you know, uh, for the Blues really stretched. AJ, what about the goaltending matchup here? Rask versus Bennington. Well, so for me, you know, this this is a tough one only because um, I really do like everything Jordan Bennington has brought. But I talked already about the numbers in terms of goals allowed here. And I think uh, Tuka Rask has just been playing too well at this point. Now you look at the save percentage uh, or the, you know, save percentage numbers as well. And you've got uh, Rask up there at 0.942. Uh, and, and Bennington is down, uh, you know, 0.914. That's a pretty sizable difference there, uh, you know, for, for these two guys. 
the the kind of you know interesting thing is is Bennington I think is more likely uh, to steal you a game than Rask I think you'll get kind of the same even keel uh, every night out of Rask which is interesting to say given his uh, you know previous uh, you know runs but uh, overall for me I think it's a sizable difference right now between how Tuka Rask is playing uh, over Jordan Bennington. And that's not to take away anything Bennington's been doing. I think Rask has just been playing at another level. And I do want to give a quick nod to Yaroslav Halak, who has not played any time uh, in the postseason. But I think the reason you have Rask playing so well is that he was able to take some of those starts away from Tuka earlier in the season, let him enter the postseason more rested than he's ever been before. And I think you're really seeing that pay off. That is an excellent point. AJ that can't be overlooked we talk about a lot of the workhorse goalies that play 60 plus games but Rask is a guy who really like you said benefited from the fact that they pulled back on him at points during the regular season so now we're talking about a guy who is the the leader in the clubhouse to use your expression for the Conn Smythe Trophy as most valuable player in these playoffs but I'm going to suggest to you the number two guy in that race is Jordan Binnington and the guy who wins the ba- this battle is the guy that's going to be the, that trophy winner I, I don't think there's any doubt in my mind you can certainly make a case for a Brad Marchand to be uh, maybe the best skater in this postseason and that's a mouthful for me to say believe me <laughs> uh, but uh, so so it comes down to who do we think is going to win and I think we're we're on opposite sides of this, AJ, and it's kind of an interesting way to end the season in terms of our picks. I'm going to go with the St. Louis Blues in six. It's kind of the same model uh, as this NBA Eastern Conference uh, final that we're talking about. I think, uh, like I said, the one team has to win at home in game six. It's their, really their game seven, and I think that's going to be the challenge for the Blues because ain't no way they're going to win in Boston in game seven. So I'm going to take the Blues in six. Yeah, I'm going to take I'm going to take Boston in five, actually, and, and not because I don't think the Blues can extend it. But I think Boston uh, comes in and they win. You know, you're talking home ice advantage here. I think they win the first two games at home. I think they'll steal one in St. Louis and then wrap it up in game five, because I don't think they want to go back and play that game six in St. Louis either. So um, for me, it's Boston in five. Um, you know, a lot of times when you say a team in five, it, you're you're expressing doubts about the other club. I think St. Louis uh, is a fine team. I think they can really uh, compete well. I don't expect any blowouts uh, in in any of these games. I expect them to be close. I actually would prefer. I hope you're right, Paul. I hope St. Louis wins. I don't want Boston to win, um, <laughs> but I've been betting against them all along, and and I just can't do it anymore. Uh, and so I th- I think the Bruins will pull this out. Uh, in five if not in five it will be in seven Uh, i don't think they'll win that game six back in st louis so uh you know that's that's kind of how i see it if they win one and two at home this will either get wrapped up in game five or game seven obviously if they lose one or two then we're talking maybe your prediction but uh boston in five is where i'm at all right so we'll see how that plays out and we'll talk about that when we next get together it'll be on the next episode of podcast which will air around the time of the NHL's amateur draft that's in the third week of June so keep an eye on our Twitter feeds and uh, we'll remind you that that wraps up this episode of podcast with Statsman and AJ our next episode will take place as I said after the NHL draft please remember to send your comments or questions on Twitter follow me Paul Bruno at Statsman 22 you can follow AJ at AJ Scholes 24 as always we invite you to listen to podcast to get our tips to stay ahead of the competition in your fantasy hockey planning and research so long everybody 